Welcome to Rewind to Dynamite. I am John Pollock. He is Wei Tang. This is the greatest show on earth. Hello. The best. Absolutely the best. Forget, I don't know, um, the, the uh, Cirque du Soleil. Um, That's your go-to. I don't know. Like, well, Who claims to be the greatest show on earth these days anymore? Realistically. There's no consensus on on anything like that. I mean, the circus just seems so wild these days. Would you even want to attend a circus? No. I went to the circus once when I was um, I was very young. It was actually the first event I ever went to at Maple Leaf Gardens. I did not go to a hockey game first at Maple Leaf mm-hmm. Gardens. I went to the circus when I was <laughs> very young. A little yeah. underwhelmed. Even as a kid, eh? Because I feel like at this point, I mean, they, they only really have that audience to kind of cling to. Because once anybody discovers like the internet or whatever like the moment a child touches a video game for the first time i mean the circus is oh done like what reason would you have to see that anymore no none at all i mean it's like look that's what you do in the 1920s when you're when you have no other options yeah it's either read a book or go to the circus yeah and if you um if it's long enough you probably want to read a book at the circus I'm sure some people have had some great circus-going experiences, um, but I'm not, I'm not too curious to hear about any of those stories. How's your day going? It's going okay, yeah. I mean, the past stretch, a few days uh, of a stretch have been really kind of uh, tough on my sleeping schedule. So I had a really tough time going to bed last night and just ended up watching NXT and, and some other wrestling. So today I spent the bulk of it actually during the day from like noon to like five o'clock just catching up. I didn't sleep at all the night prior. I'm good right now. Well, that's that's good to hear. That's great. Uh, you're hydrated. You're ready to go. You're ready to chat. Good to go, man. Yeah. How are you? Uh, I'm good. And I think we're going to start off the show by announcing that this is our last free show until what? the first of the month. <laughs> and then uh, we're going to have a whole new month to discuss. Yeah, it's not our. You made it seem like this would be our last free show ever, and that's certainly not the case. But I'm just gonna have a dramatic pause there. But the month of November is quickly approaching, and we thought we would spend a little bit of time off the top here informing people of an experiment. I am going to couch this as an experiment, okay? That we are going to try for the month of November, and we're going to see what the reception is, not just from the, our audience way, but by you and I. If we are still standing after this. So the floor is yours. What have we concocted? Yeah. What will the reception be to our bodies? Like that's, that's really what we're trying to figure out too. Yeah. If I'm on life support by the third week of November, I'm tapping out. Well, uh, you know, September, October has been a a month that that's been a bit busier than usual for us because of the G1 and getting into the routine of recording at one o'clock consistently for a number of the days throughout that week. Um, it's, you know, I've kind of enjoyed it to be quite honest with you, John, because like it, 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 it gives us a chance to catch up on news that we might not otherwise get to on these episodes. And so, because, um, we don't 
talk enough, I suggested that we perhaps continue. And that would be in the form of daily news updates. <laughs> daily? In audio form. Uh, John and I will be recording at 1 o'clock, and we will probably release it very shortly after. But we're going to try to start doing these. In addition, of course, to these shows that you're listening to right now, our Raw reviews, our Dynamite reviews will continue to be on the free feeds. And then our SmackDown and Rampage reviews will continue to be on the uh, Post Wrestling Cafe Patreon feeds. But we're also going to try to, again, do daily news updates in the afternoon on the Post Wrestling Cafe as well as youtube.com slash post wrestling. So those will be the two places where you'll get it. We're trying to, of course, you know, always direct people to our Patreon. That's the place where you could support post wrestling. And uh, in audio form, that is where you can exclusively get these shows. As well, we're also trying to populate the YouTube, youtube.com slash post wrestling, where we want to do a lot more video, maybe some live streaming in the future. And this will be a place where you can get these daily news updates as well for free. That's right. So those are going to be Monday to Friday, and they will, a lot of the time, it will be Wei and I, but we are also going to use these to mix in other people on the network. Uh, I am not committing to doing five of these uh, per week, but we are going to, we have a very strong network of personalities that we can use to just bring on to do the news. These are going to be more, um, you know, 20 minutes, give or take, going over the day's news. And the thinking here is as well that this will alleviate some of the, the well, give us more time for show reviews on Monday nights, Wednesday nights, and keep those shows uh, a bit more concise where the news will be more so tackled during these uh, audio updates during the day. So it's going to be trial and error as we figure out this process routine and it'll open itself up like to have a guest on to chat about the news items with way and i to uh flip people in and out and such so we're gonna play around with it see how this goes in november and maybe by november 30th people will say dude we get enough of you two we do not need any more and then you know what i will have no shame in saying we're taking this away so we will see what everyone uh enjoys but i'm looking forward to doing it i'm really excited when uh way and i started uh, hatching this idea. I think we both had a lot of ideas that we threw against the wall. We're like, this could be a great addition. So we will see. It is always in the power. Uh, the power, I should say, is always in your hands. And we just listen. Absolutely. Yeah. It's always, you know, something that I'm, I'm always looking towards our cafe patrons for is feedback on what we're doing, how, how, how much you guys like the schedule, how much you like the process of, uh, you know, the the, uh, the the way the content is presented. And as John mentioned, you know, hopefully that means these shows late at night are going to be a bit more direct to the reviews themselves and a bit shorter for our purposes and also for your listening purposes as well. But uh, it might also give us a bit more time to expand on some of these news topics that we might feel a bit more rushed to do and to talk about on these shows. So um, hopefully it'll be a benefit for most of you guys. And again, postwrestlingcafe.com to get those in audio form youtube.com slash post wrestling to get them for free in video so that will be starting on monday and we will further go over uh, some of the highlights for the cafe uh on monday but uh, some of the things to look forward to if you are jumping on board there because of the way everything is figured out on the calendar there will be three editions of rewind away on top of the fact that once you sign up you get access to the archives that includes a three-hour discussion that we just had about WrestleMania 19 slash Crack Addict by Limp Biscuit. that we have gotten more feedback for our discussion about the song 
than the actual show. So I think we should be taking notes here, Way. Uh, it was actually a fantastic show, so I recommend people checking that out. But three Rewindaways in the month of November and a major announcement this Monday on Rewind to Raw. That's a tease. That's something we're saving. I mean, we're, we've given you guys enough here on a Wednesday. But uh, on Monday, another a, a big announcement that's coming to the Post Wrestling Network. So I'm looking forward to that. As well, uh, coming up in the month of November, WH Park and I will be watching and reviewing the Eternals, the latest Marvel movie that's set to come out. And maybe even an edition of talk in there somewhere, John. We might find some extra time just to talk. Yeah. Amidst all of this, we will, we will try. Uh, but a, a big month coming up in November. So look out for that. Postwrestlingcafe.com, youtube.com slash postwrestling. Um, rounding up this week, though, we have, uh, first of all, all, all applause goes out to Braden Harrington and Davey Portman, the Cody and Arn of the Post Wrestling Network, hands down the best costumes of 2021. The The race is over before Halloween has even begun, and they did a fantastic job on Up Next on Tuesday night reviewing Halloween Havoc in costume form. An amazing, an amazing photo that has circulated and even made its way to one Cody Rhodes who responded to them. Oh, he did? Oh, yes. What did he say? He sent like the, uh, or, the explosion emoji, I think. <laughs> Amazing, the explosion. I think yeah, he's going for the dynamite tie in there. Uh, if you haven't checked it out, YouTube.com/slash/upnextpodcast or Twitch.tv/slash/upnextpodcast. I recommend you guys uh, check out their their review of of last night's show, or simply go to their Instagram and this incredible outfit. I I mean, they really picked the perfect pair to co- uh, cosplay as. And I got uh, called out on that show. Did you hear? No. What did you say? What did they say? I was uh, I was requested to come on in December for a movie review, mm-hmm. and I, as as I heard, I R bombed Braden. What's an R bomb? I read the text, but I didn't respond to the text. Oh, it's like damn! I did do that. I did not get back to him because I was unsure. But, don't uh, you? Can't you turn that off? Like why? why I, d- I definitely need to. I really don't like that kind of power being. <laughs> um, uh, being powerless to, I read something and someone knows that I've seen their message. I'm actively uh, taking my time with it. Huh? Yeah. R bombing. R bombing. Ouch. Well, um, how could you? Are you gonna? Well, are you gonna do it? I mean, this morning, Braden just sent me a photo of a Glock, so I fi- I figured <laughs> I, I better get back to him pretty quickly. Well, I'll, I'll be joining Davey actually on uh, Friday for his succession review. So that'll be up on the Up Next Patreon. So you guys should check that out. The I actually royally screwed up on that one because I thought Neil was permanently doing the show. So I sent Neil a message and I said, looking forward to the next episode of the sesh, which not only was incorrect, but also kind of uh, I got ahead of myself because I have not listened to the first episode yet. And I kind of... Uh, kind of just put myself out there that uh, you didn't even listen yet have you you just kind of keep digging yourself deeper. i just walk into all these things way yeah it's tough mm-hmm. it's tough having uh online etiquette in 2021 but yeah. i'm learning i'm learning mm-hmm. it's saved i'm going to listen to it well you better listen to this week it's all i'll awesome. get around to it uh also bushby and thompson their wrestling adventure goes through 2002 on thursday the king of the ring tournament starring mm-hmm. brock lesnar yeah should be a fun one with uh, the two of them. And they've got, uh, it's, it's going to be a, a round table chat. So check it out. Friday, we're live with Rewind to SmackDown at 
God, how late do we go for with that one? 11.15 Eastern after Rampage. Saturday, UFC 267 post show with Phil Chertok, live and in living color here in the post office. And Sunday, post pro res with WH Park. I did not realize this week was going to turn out uh, with this kind of schedule. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a mountain I'm climbing this week, but we're going to get to the end of it. Next week's a big one too, so. Oh dear. Yep, get your, get your rest in when you can. There you go. That's all of the plugging. I don't have any more left in me. I'm now putting on my Brian Danielson white shirt. I have nothing more to promote for the rest of the show. As we get into the news way, unless you have any closing thoughts no, and words. No, and none plugs. at all. None at all. Okay. Well, we're starting off with Ring of Honor because it was a uh, pretty uh, ominous day with ROH putting out uh, this message. And we'll start there. Uh, throughout the pandemic, our top priority was to keep everyone healthy and safe And despite not producing any live events over 18 months, we were able to keep everyone fully contracted. We now find ourselves at a time when we need to make changes to our business operations and are planning to pivot for Ring of Honor with a new mission and strategy. The year will culminate with Final Battle in December, and we will be taking the first quarter of 2022 to work internally to reimagine ROH. ROH has the most dedicated fans in the industry, and we appreciate their loyalty and patience as we reconceptualize ROH. We anticipate returning to live events in April for the Super Card of Honor with a new fan-focused product and provide a unique experience for wrestling fans. So what you can take from that is that they do have TV tapings coming up this weekend, and they have Final Battle December the 11th. And after that, they are going to go on a hiatus for what they are stating, the first quarter of 2022, where they anticipate returning to live events for WrestleMania weekend with Super Card of Honor, which is always one of, if not their biggest card of the year. Now, after this, uh, some additional reporting uh, came out uh, from Dave Meltzer and Sean Ross Sapp at Fightful, reporting that ROH talent will be released from their contracts, or, or their contracts will not be renewed at the end of the year. And those that have deals going beyond 2021 will be paid through March 31st. Additionally, Fightful is reporting that Joe Coff, the COO of the company, told Talent that this was a Sinclair call and that Talent has been told to contact uh, Ring of Honor official Greg Gilliland if they want to work in other places. If they're under contract, they will work to make that possible. Uh, PWInsider.com adding that they have the TVs this weekend in Baltimore and they do have a venue locked in for Dallas over WrestleMania weekend and that ROH Uh, television will continue during this hiatus, although it will include some archived footage. Uh, You can see the response, a ton of ROH performers um, getting online quickly, posting their messages and making, you know, making themselves available for independent bookings. Uh, No one was faster than ROH champion Bandito, who within hours uh, was booked by Game Changer for cards on December 3rd and 4th in Texas and December 17th in LA. So that is a lot way. Um, I think at the very least, you're looking at Ring of Honor. Um, you know, this seems to be the end of like contracted talent for ROH. And the question becomes, um, what can you reimagine when you don't know what ROH is even going to consist of by April? There is even the most loyal of performers here are not going to be sticking around, you would think, to see what happens at the end of this. This does not paint um, a bright picture for ROH's future. And what pieces are you even going to be having? Like, I think the best case is ROH existing where it would just be 
paying guys per appearance and being very much show to show, like nothing resembling the ROH uh, that had been in existence up until today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I feel like it's pretty safe to say, like, you know, the, the the way that I think they've been operating the ROH, at least in its current incarnation, feels like it's very much finished, or at least after these next set of tapings after Final Battle. I mean, you know, I think in, in discussing wrestling promotions throughout the pandemic, first of all, you know, like, they have been championed, Sinclair and Ring of Honor, for being the ones who have handled it perhaps the best, or have at least been the most cautious, you know, and, t- and took care of their their employees, their talent. I mean that mm-hmm. um, th- they deserve great. Com- uh, they should be commended for how they took care of everybody during the pandemic. When I mean, they could have argued we're not running shows. There's no revenue coming in. Tough luck, and they they paid their talent, and that that should be applauded. And unfortunately, they're now in this situation where. It's, I mean, th- th- this clearly is a fork in the road in terms of Sinclair and what are we doing in this pro wrestling business? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, it wasn't too much of a, um, uh, a shock to hear that they, they weren't doing well financially or maybe the business wasn't really running up to the standard that Sinclair, Sinclair really wanted. But I don't know if anybody would have imagined uh, this type of news so suddenly and all of the talent probably you know getting uh their chance to leave the company it turns out and uh it's really unfortunate of course for all the people that are there it also makes you really wonder what capacity sinclair wants to continue operating roh as um i imagine it'll be greatly slimmed down i mean they have an all-time great wrestling videotape library at their disposal that maybe they will use to fill up their broadcasts and perhaps do similar ratings to what they're doing right now. I'm not entirely sure, but running a wrestling promotion is not a cheap thing to do, especially a full-time one at that. And, uh, and a live event business Mm -hmm. post pandemic. I mean, they have, you know, they have not raced back. Like they've done, you know, their pay-per-view in front of fans, but I mean, they, they have not rushed back and done TV in front of fans. Like they, they have not been, racing back to a live event operation. And maybe they're just looking at that as, you know, this, I I think that you can probably trace a lot of this back to, you know, with with ROH, I I look at two major factors. One being that this company had a dramatic change at the end of 2018, when the elite left, when that whole group left. I mean, that was ROH at its, its peak of popularity of this, of this generation where they had be, they had grown to unbelievable heights um, by, by their standards in the, you know, in the independent wrestling scene, if you want to uh, classify them as such, they're really not with a Sinclair parent company. But at that point it was, what co- company are we, are we going to be out there and are we going to aggressively fight to be a third promotion with WWE and AEW? We have seen over time that, ROH, it became fighting for the remaining the remaining piece pieces of the pie that's out there. It's like we're looking at a North American wrestling industry that is going to be dominated by one one monster and a second that has proven to be, you know, a rising competitor in the field that is still leagues away from WWE in terms of size and financial power behind it. But we're also seeing like there are going to be companies that it's a distant it's a distant amount of space between them and that the industry is going to have 
casualties but by by all of this and ROH it's it's a it's a great what if question of in 2018 like ROH had the contractual right to tell the Bucks and Cody you guys all in great idea no no chance like we have your US rights and they said yes and they let them go ahead with that and they helped them out with the show I don't know if things are any different if they say no to them, but they said yes, and it's proven as a greater whole to, I think, help the industry as a whole, but this is also the flip side that ROH, they were never the same after 2018. They have brought in some tremendous talent, but like you have all of these companies that are all fighting for fans' attention and dollars, and it's one thing to say, I'm following this product every week, I'm watching their TV, but... Are you spending money on this product? Like, there's only so much to go around if you're the wrestling fan. You have a lot of options, and a lot of it is going to be concentrated in the big two companies. Yeah, and if we're ranking companies right now, I mean, I don't even know if ROH would be number three. I don't even know if they would be number four. You know, where I mean, I, I hear far more about Impact and GCW these days than I I do Ring of Honor, maybe even the NWA from time to time, and. I, I, you know, like everything you mentioned, of course, is, is are are the major factors involved. I mean, you know, they were just coming off of selling out Madison Square Garden, dude. Like to go from that all the way to several years later, essentially what feels like the end of the company. Even even the year prior, when we were at that show in New Orleans, where they built it off the Kenny Omega Cody program, like mm-hmm. that was. That was a giant show to to be at, and then even more so the next year. Like that that relationship with New Japan, a lot of people were critical of just how much you know New Japan talent, how they were how they were booked. But it was a very positive business relationship when they came here to Toronto, when they would go to New York. I mean that that 2017 2018 period was very strong for the company. Absolutely, yeah, and of course, like you know, much of the reason for all that all of that success for those shows was down to New Japan Pro Wrestling and down to what 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 is now the core of all elite wrestling. But Ring of Honor still very much had a hand in being able to control a lot of that and to potentially grow and expand those relationships. And you know, uh, for whatever reason, they mismanaged um, perhaps a lot of those aspects of their business and since the elite formed i mean of course there's a pandemic that we have to talk about but um, the, the pandemic I, is that was the other like the major thing it's like you look at the, the talent that left in 18 the pandemic as well is like those are the big two that i think are the factors we, we look at here of roh like where how we but even without the pandemic you know i can't necessarily say that anything that ring of honor was doing any moves that they were making were were such exciting moves that I think were, were able to dominate the conversation in the wrestling space. Um, again, even pandemic aside prior to the pandemic, it's like there, I, I, I feel like ultimately it's, it, it might be like a deeper core philosophy issue with the company that um, needs to certainly be reevaluated. And what is that reevaluation going to look like? They certainly seem to indicate that they have plans of returning, but what can they do is what I'm curious. My, my suspicion and with, is that. And with just... what? I mean, you can book a one-off WrestleMania weekend show and there will be independent talent out there that you can sign for a one-off card, but that's a one-off. And what mm-hmm. are we looking at long-term for ROH? I think that that's very much in question. And, you know, talent has to also be of the, 
the understanding that, my God, we're, we're coming off all these WWE cuts that we're still fresh off of with this year's cuts. You're now looking at another pool. Like, AEW can't sign everybody. Yeah. It's, it's to the benefit of the industry that we have another thriving company out there that can really utilize some of this talent. So, I, you know, this is not something where you, you look at this, it's, it, it's going to be unfortunate for some talent. I will say this to ROH. It's not like they're dicking these people around or just, you know, providing lip service. Hey, we're going to go on a small break. But it's like they're stating, hey, it's a hiatus. But if you want out of your deals, we'll let you take bookings. You if you you're going to be if you have a contract beyond this year, you're at least paid up until this point. Um, you know, if, if, if it's a long term contract, I can see you being upset that suddenly you're banking on X amount of years and now it's the end of March. But nonetheless, I I think they're going to try and make this as easy for talent to get out there immediately and are not going to be any kind of impediment to or impediment to them finding work immediately. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, as far as like its return, I'm I'm certainly curious what what happens. Um, There's a great number of free agents right now in the wrestling world. And I think from from all that amount of talent, I feel like something has to happen. Something else will form that AEW can't necessarily just fulfill themselves. So in a year's time, I'd be very curious to see like what this big crop of talent that's existing out there right now and will probably grow in the next few months. What What's going to happen to to the independent scene at large and maybe even the rise of another competitor? I mean, Sinclair is not out of the wrestling business. You tell, no, this, and this the fact the that they are going to continue running television. I mean, that's they there is some value to them of filling these these. Um, syndicated networks with an hour of, in the grand scheme, relatively cheap programming, especially if you're going to the archive where you're just talking about, you know, production costs in-house. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, I feel like there's still some potential there. I mean, of course, as a name brand, even though it's not the hottest brand in the world right now, Ring of Honor, I think, still carries a good deal of recognition attached to it. And uh, there's definitely some value there. I mean, a lot of people are are, are maybe discussing online about um, potential sale. Do do you see that being a possibility? I mean, just like what what are you buying? I mean, to me, it's if the library. Number, well, that's that's a separate thing. Like to me, the idea of the library that's enticing, but also to who? Like WWE now has a fixed deal with Peacock. I don't think they're going to be in the market for buying tape libraries. Like, to, mm-hmm. for what value? You are being paid for the next five years. Adding a library, like, there's there's no need for that. Um, unless, you know, you just feel for long term, it's, it's having a catalog of matches. But, I mean, the, the library is, of course, of, of note where if you're an AEW and you want to eventually launch a service and you want to be able to tell... Uh, the, at least the early portion of the CM Punk story, the Brian Danielson story. I mean, that's a great library to have. Um, that's the big value. But in terms of like an actual like company sale, it's to me, if you're an, a promoter out there, you're just going to pick the pieces of the contracts that become available and go after those free agent talents, stock up your rosters. Um, I mean, the value of ROH is like that syndicated network, which I mean, what what is Sinclair's relationship with pro wrestling now? It's like it in 2011, they came and saved ROH, which was, you know, someone who deserves a lot of credit is Kerry Silken, who 
ROH would not have made it to 2011 without Kerry Silken just writing off losses, essentially, to keep that company running. But Sinclair buys it, and it's it's financial stability, but you're also not the top property in the Sinclair portfolio. And they kept it running for all of this time, and we saw what the level of commitment was. It's not like um, ROH was, you know just reaping the benefits of being inside of a corporation like Sinclair Broadcasting. They, you know, their production was nice. They had a fine looking program, but it was not state of the art. And at this point, if you are Sinclair and suddenly you wake up and you're just, you're just looking at what value is, is our being in the pro wrestling business bringing to our portfolio. And is this, is the juice worth the squeeze at this point? And sometimes with large companies, they wake up one day, it's like, you may be all in until you're not. And that can flip on a dime. Yes. Uh, we live through that. Like, one day you're all in on this this kind of vision for a company, the next you're not. And that is that is how these businesses operate. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I don't know if, if this is the end of Ring of Honor, um, but it's certainly the end of this current incarnation of it. And uh, that story... How, how do you handle... How would you handle Final Battle? Because in many ways... That the fan base is going to treat this almost as a farewell show, even though it may not be. The talent will, for sure. And I think the audience will, absolutely. Like, and that goes into how do you, how do you execute this show? Is it just we're going to run a show with the idea that we're coming back after? Or do you treat this as like it's bye for now? Or like that's going to be a show that will have interest because of this. That mm-hmm. it, are we going to see a show in April? That is going to be the question until there's a concrete announcement of Supercard of Honor in April. It's very tricky because I think on the one hand, you want to provide that, you know, sentimental, uh, satisfying, perhaps goodbye for the roster, for the audience. This is a case where it's not just, you know, a show being kind of canceled from out of nowhere. They're giving them warning. Hey, this is sort of like the date where we're going to go on hiatus. At the same time, you don't think I don't think you want to give the impression to the audience that you're done if you do want to bring this thing back by, by April. So I I think it'll have to be a combination of, you know, no, there's no doubt that much of this roster probably won't be returning in April. So I think you have to do satisfying goodbyes for them while at the same time giving your audience something to look forward to, a trickle of hope, you know, for, for what is to come in April. Um, it, it's going to be tricky, but I think it'll be a show with a lot of attention. Yeah, um, t- certainly. I think so. And I, I think you will see a lot of goodwill among this this roster because of the experience throughout this pandemic. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I would say like, I think like you're going to see a lot of positive comments from those that worked in ROH. Uh, may, maybe not every person, but I would say most uh, that, you know, went through this period and how they were taken care of. I, I think you'll see a lot of positivity in that sense. Yeah. And that goes a long way. It's not a big industry and there are only so many places to work in. So um, yeah, I've heard nothing but good things about that management. Anyway, so we will obviously continue to, to focus on this story, but it's it's one that, um, you know, it has a lot of questions attached to it, but it also, like, being being a realist, you have to be um, asking those questions, and there there is going to be pessimism of what what is the future of ROH. I think that's what everyone is looking at, and December 11th becomes a very interesting show in how it's handled. Uh, we also have the numbers from Monday. Uh, Raw got a bit of a bounce back without uh, any Major League Baseball competition. And also, 
Monday Night Football, uh, it was their lowest number of the year. Way. They, fa- they fell down to 11.1 million viewers. Oh, it's over. It's done. No one watches sports know. anymore. It's over. So Raw did 1,658,000 viewers, 613,000 in the demo. That translates to a .47 coming from Brandon Thurston and Showbuzz Daily. So they were sixth on cable. And uh, overall, it, w- it was like a nice bounce back for, for the program after hitting that that low 18 to 49 number the week prior. And more so, it was uh, as well a show that I think the combination of, of the season premiere and building up that ladder match. I mean, the, the third hour drop was minuscule. Uh, 8.5% in viewers, 4% drop throughout the show in 18 to 49. Um, I, like, I think this is what the number you're going to hope for when you're going against Monday Night Football. I'm sure there's some curiosity and some freshness attached to to this swapping of of uh, roster members. So we'll see how long that lasts and whether or not they can capitalize with some of this added interest. Uh, NXT also had a very good week with Halloween Havoc. Uh, they did their best numbers since September the 21st, which was the second week of the revamp. Uh, they did 746,000 viewers, number 11 on cable, up 23% from last week. And the 18 to 49 number was up 29% at a 0.18. And uh, across the board, they were up you know, double digits in many categories. Uh, 18 to 34, they were up 62.5% as just an, an indication. Uh, and also, I mean, this was also a competitive night where the World Series had 10.8 million viewers. There was an NBA game going against it. So uh, not at the level of last year's Halloween Havoc, but nonetheless, it was uh, it, it was an uptick for NXT, which they have not been experiencing during this revamp. But uh, way you got to see the episode, as did I. And uh, I guess what did you think of the the Halloween Havoc presentation and how this would compare to, I, I would say, a a big NXT TV special, maybe not a, quite a takeover, but a big show just in terms of how they presented it and how the audience reacted to it. Well, um, going in, I think I feel like I have a very different like viewing of NXT than like this NXT 2.0 than a lot of people. My expectations aren't necessarily that this show would hit takeover levels. I don't really watch NXT like expecting a great super indie anymore. I watch it to see the continued advancement and evolution of this very young roster, which is what I think it's designed for now. I mean, again, we're watching, you know, great tests for the, this brand new roster who lacks a great deal of in-ring TV experience. And even I would say certainly this did not necessarily reach the level of a takeover event, I think it did in terms of the idea that you are getting the best out of these performers. And I felt like everybody certainly tried their best on this show to varying degrees of success, I would say. But overall, I get a lot of enjoyment simply seeing, you know, out of seeing like wrestlers take things incredibly seriously. They're put under pressure and then can they perform that's to me a really interesting question and i felt for the most part everybody brought their best um and it, that was fun to watch in itself what letter grade would you give to braun breaker i think he was the focus of this entire episode 
Yeah, well, what's what's the context? You know, is it a letter grade uh, for grade one? Is it a is it how, a, how high a are you curriculum? on Braun Breaker after seeing him in an extended match where this guy is obviously the focus of this entire brand, regardless of whether the title is on him or not? This is built yeah. around him being the the next breakout star. I thought he did a perfectly like respectable job under the amount of pressure of headlining a show like this. Um, you know, besides that slip off of like the, the top rope, I believe. Um, I thought Ciampa's re- reaction to that was, I mean, that, that was a veteran that knew exactly. exactly just, he was not phased in the slightest. And yeah. the, and the announcers also jumped on it. It's like, we're not going to pretend that this guy didn't just slip and fall. Instead, we're going to look, maybe this is too much for this guy. And we're going to make that part of the story. It's like, this is what's been handed to us. Are we going to just pretend that didn't happen? No. Yeah. I mean, that shit happens in sports. Like, things don't look perfect in sports. And, you know, as it's as much about pro wrestling in how you can improvise and cover, perhaps, for something like that. And the announcers did a great job of it. But I thought Braun did really well, considering, the, like, his level of experience now. Being all of a sudden put into the, the role of a title match on NXT. And, I again, if the grading here is whether or not he can, I can see him in a WWE main event role, the answer is absolutely yes. Okay, because there are there have been people that Vince has plucked out of uh, whatever uh, you know wrestling background that they have, and they pu- they push them to to the moon in, in with far less experience and I think far less comfort than what I saw Braun Breaker here. So I would you know can can this guy headline a PWG? No, of course not. But can he fit Vince McMahon's mold of what a star would be? I think the answer is yes. He also hit a Frankenbreaker. Frankenbreaker. There you go. Absolutely. Sure. I loved watching the Scott Steiner spots and they can't, they, they just can't. And they even did the spot with him and Chucky in the back. They're not, yeah, they're not shying away from it. Everybody knows this man, who, what this man's lineage is, but I don't know if there's a reason, like a legal reason why they can't, can't call him Steiner or something, but you know, they're, they're basically just kind of wink, wink, dancing around it without actually saying it, which is whatever, which is fine. It had its it, it had its rough spots, but I will say, like it was the story you and I kind of projected that here is Breaker. The story was he he took all, everything from Champa. He kicked out of a fairy tale ending, and he he took everything. But finally, like Champa is like Breaker might be your future, but Champa is still the guy right now. But like that was the story they were trying to convey that Breaker is the next guy, but he's not quite there yet. Which I think was the. That was the rational way to book this rather than put the belt on him at this point and understand that, like, this guy should be in NXT for some time. And Mm -hmm. I think the faster he gets the title, the faster he's going to be on that list to get skyrocketed to the main roster. And I I do not want to see the – because this guy can be molded and he's got a lot of great things going for him. So let's let's not rush it. But there's a lot there to work with. It's only been – has it even been like two months yet? Since no, we've had no, the this was like September, uh, sep- September 14th was the revamp. We're talking just over a month. I think it's a revamp. It's way too soon to talk about moving this guy up to the main roster. You know, although like it seems like they're definitely putting the rocket onto him. But this is a great spot for a guy like him. I mean, I think for the first time in a long time, like NXT actually feels like a developmental and I would argue a successful one. But simply out of the amount of airtime and the amount of experience that it's providing people like a you know a Persia Parada, 
or like, you know, JC Jane, you know, having gone through the experience of, of what they did last week and having gone through the experience of a ladder match. No, it's not going to make anybody's match of the year list, but the goal, that's not the goal of NXT 2.0. The goal of NXT 2.0 is to ultimately get these people ready for the main roster. And for that reason, I would say all these matches, for, for the most part, were successful. I had an audible gasp as I watched Io Shirai, who I thought killed herself. When she got tipped mm-hmm. over that ladder and the way she flung over the top on the ladder and went through the other ladder, they replayed this thing all so many times. My God, this this was one of the sickest falls. This this was more frightening than anything I saw Kevin Owens do on Monday night. Uh, this was just insane. I'm glad she appears to be okay, but my God, was this frightening. It was the type of fall that I just don't know how you would be able to work like it felt she, like she did not have her control of the way she got like flung as it was tipping. Like it was like this rotation as the as the ladder hit the rope. She like it felt like a great combination of I'm sure like awareness and skill and comfort around the ring, but also a great deal of luck that that fall didn't end up worse. Um, certainly a big bump and and a number of big bumps attached to that ladder match. Um, you know that was the biggest question mark certainly going into this show. Like. Well, First of all, why a ladder match was designed I, for for this crop of wrestlers with this combined level of experience, and coming off of Monday's amazing example of a ladder match, God, like how are they going to do it? And I'll say, like I felt like again, considering what this was and the level of experience that was there, I don't think it was like unsuccessful. I thought it was like it delivered in terms of like big spots, or at least they attempted to. A lot of things did not look good. About no, there were there was definitely some sloppiness in this. It was, um, you know, you, you, th- there were those that were, you know, you, you could see the varying levels of experience in this match. But again, what are we watching this show for? What is this show produced for? You know, well, we're not. It, it's it's a and and maybe again goes to show you the, the the terrible communication between what's happening on Monday and what's happening on Tuesday because clearly. They did not care on Raw that people would be comparing this ladder match with the ladder match of the combined experience of guys like Finn Balor and Kevin Owens. But again, for this level of experience, like uh, these people like a Persian Parada who've, who've only been on TV for a few weeks. Are you kidding me to like put them in this high pressure situation? Again, these are tests and this is experience points for people like that. Well, I, I would say that they, they had several title changes on this show. We got the tag titles onto Toxic Attraction with Gigi Dolan and JC Jane, and then the women's title onto Mandy Rose after the hooded uh, gravedigger turned out to be Dakota Kai, who is back in NXT and cost Raquel the title. And like this certainly seemed like a shift of getting the titles over to different acts, but. For Dakota Kai, and it's like this is my overall assessment of a lot of these performers, is that NXT 2.0 is – this is high school, okay? And the Mm -hmm. point of high school is getting out of high school. You're not there forever. Once Once you graduate, it's time to move on. It's not time to do victory laps. And there may be the odd performer that is your veteran presence on the show. But to me, Dakota Kai is one, and I I will – I would – Add Io Shirai if she ends up sticking around here is it just feels like they are going to be spinning their tires here that these are women that they've they've completed the graduate course they are ready to go out into the real world yeah 
and on top of that though it seems like to me like the the using that analogy i mean if you're not going out into the real real world to get a job you are going back into the schooling system and becoming a ta and that's what it feels like somebody like a tomaso champa you, you don't need a whole lot of tas you only need like a small amount of them because that's not what this show is for it is it is to fill it up with talent that is going to go out into the real world and get to the main roster like that is the show yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, this is the first month that we've seen NXT 2.0, so I imagine there's still going to be a lot of growing pains and them trying to figure out a good balance between the old NXT and the current NXT. Um, and I, I would definitely tell them to like lean more towards a bit of the old NXT because I think that's what's driving a lot of the current audience away. How different this show is from the past. I will say, you know, I'm really glad that we got a semblance of the old NXT in Imperium versus MSK, which I thought was a fucking awesome match really like every bit the type of match you would have seen in a previous takeover uh and you know shows you perhaps the big divide in terms of experience level of four men like this and people that are also brand new on this roster so it's a bit of an awkward mix but i definitely encourage people to go check out imperium versus msk that that cutter though with nash carter delivering the cutter off the top turnbuckle to the floor none of the lumberjacks are there to catch them? Oh my god, that was uh, that was brutal. But that that was hands down the best match on the show. It was a really good tag match. I enjoy Imperium a lot. I think they're such mm-hmm. a uh, such an underrated tag team uh, in in this company. And I was glad to see them put the belts on them. MSK is a phenomenal tag team as well. So that was that that was a big highlight on the show. I thought. Yeah, yeah, and of course Mandy Rose beating Raquel Gonzalez. Um, how long do you think Raquel stays? Well, that's it. It's like to me once once you've got this belt off of her, like I've seen the Dakota Kai feud. We went through this. I don't. I don't think this is the the brand where you need to be recycling programs of two performers that I think they've gotten what they can out of NXT. Certainly for Dakota Kai, you can argue Raquel, but I think uh, Raquel like this. The idea of being down in NXT for three or four years, I think that's out the window. It's like it's either. You're well, going to go up or we're going to cut bait at this point of of talent. And I think those hard decisions are going to be made with these talents when when it comes to, OK, you've you've gone through the course. And where are you at? Where do we view you? Yeah. So we await to see whether or not this is an exit program for Dakota, uh, uh, Raquel Gonzalez. I mean, Dakota Kai has had her SmackDown dark matches. You know, um, they took Aaliyah for some reason. Dakota Kai was not a part of this crop. And that kind of tells me that she's not going to be um anytime soon so you know it's something i guess for you know a a, a, a prior nxt audience to cut like you want your veteran feuds in there as well but we await to see what the point of it is for raquel gonzalez that's right and um yeah so next week they're gonna follow this up by cameron grimes going into duke hudson's poker room yeah and johnny gargano and dexter loomis taking on trick williams and carmelo hayes how did the vignettes work i didn't like them dude i really i honestly had a very open mind that i thought that the very first scene of hayes and williams pulling up it's like okay these guys might be really fun in these segments man there was (laughs) i didn't laugh at anything in this yeah yeah i mean comedy is subjective of course but um I I I just thought they were super corny, and I mean, you do have to have an element of this type of stuff. You got you got to have a, an element of corniness on a on a Halloween show, right? 
You had Johnny Gargano literally say that he's booby-trapped the place like Home Alone. I was like, okay, they're going to do a whole Home Alone recreation with these two trying to get the the North American title, and they're going to run into all the booby traps. It was not a high bar. It's a high bar. Home Alone is. I guess so. Maybe Home Alone three. Maybe maybe shoot for uh, for number three. All right. um, So there you go. Those were our thoughts on NXT. Uh, Let's get into Dynamite. Coming up on Saturday, or coming up on Saturday. I'm uh, this was Saturday earlier Saturday. tonight. Uh, mm-hmm. I was I was looking here at my UFC notes. Uh, Saturday is the UFC card. Do you, do you realize that the UFC card? If you have ESPN Plus in the states, it's free. But here in Canada, it's a full on pay per view that you got to pay for. I did not realize. Wow. So, not, are you going to watch? No, I'm not going to watch. Jan Blahovich versus Glover Teixeira. Pure I mean, hanging out with you and Phil would, would be a lot of fun, I'm sure. You're welcome to come. 2 p.m. start time. Okay, I'll let you know. Um, you know that, um, what's his name? Hasbula, is that his name? I don't know. You know, you know who I'm talking about? Oh, that about? little, the, yeah, the little. He's going to be there. <laughs> I, don't, I, I, I only see this dude through, like, Twitter. Dude, I don't I understand, no like, I don't, I don't get it, but I got, like, texts about this that, uh. Uh, he's we'll, going to be we'll, there. We'll he's there, he's there for Jersey. Islam Makachev. We'll ask Brandon from New Jersey, who seems to be an expert. Okay. Uh, lengthy news pack. So let's get into Dynamite tonight from the Aganis Arena in Boston, Massachusetts. We started off with CM Punk and Bobby Fish. This was a long boys night. It was, yeah. He warned us about this. So, yeah, we're going to get alternating trunks. So Tuesday was CM Punk's birthday. Today was Bobby Fish's birthday. All right. Happy birthday to them both. Birthday battle. Bobby Fish was on multiple shows tonight because he was on MLW and then he was on AEW right after. This man has been busy. Very busy. I mean, more airtime in these past few weeks than I think his entire, you know, NXT run as a single star, at least. Like a fish to water back on the non-WWE scene. Mm -hmm. So I tried. I tried. (laughs) Uh, The crowd, maybe surprising, was... Fairly split throughout this. Like, you had chance for Punk, you had chance for Fish. They like them both. Yeah, they respect them both. So, Fish grounds Punk, he's working for a choke, and then Punk clotheslines him to the floor and hit a tope suicida, and then Fish weakens the knee, and they explain how this is going to affect the GTS. Punk did a really great job selling the knee, Uh, there were inside leg kicks from Fish, and then Punk knocks him down off the turnbuckle. He's balancing on one leg on the top turnbuckle and lands an elbow. He hits a step-up knee in the corner with the with the good knee. And then the GTS gets caught with a dragon screw. Fish bridges up from a jackknife cover. And Punk eventually hits the GTS with the injured knee. And because of that, he cannot cover him immediately. Rolls on top of him. And Fish kicks out just after the three count. Which I thought was kind of a cool finish. It was 12 minutes, 58 seconds. Uh, and Punk just really sold the knee after the match as well. Yeah, I I took it as the intended finish, but there was also a bit of like pause and like Punk's reaction to it that made it feel like it could have possibly possibly have been unintended. Uh, and I don't know. I'm uh, either I way. I just took it as him checking. Like, did I did I catch him in time? Like, I I looked at it as like part of the the finish. Yeah, mo- most likely perhaps. Um, but. I, I, it kind of leaves you wondering what, what happened, but at the same time, I thought, of course, it protected fish as well. Like, it, it was just a bit awkward because it was a delayed cover. 
you know, and maybe that this was just to set up, you know, the last minute count out, uh, kick out, perhaps. Well, maybe watch Triple H and Booker T the other day. <laughs> yeah. Delayed cover and still beat the guy. Still clean. beat the guy. Yeah. Perhaps. Pedigree. Uh, but I enjoyed the match. You know, it's it's been real. I, I was I've been totally wrong about Bobby Fish and AEW. I think he, you know, for the first time I saw him, I'm like, yeah, I don't know if AEW needs him. And I mean, at this point, does AEW need anybody? I mean, they 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 have so many people. But he, Bobby Fish, has has been a very welcome addition to this roster. Um, just stylistically, he he's very different from I think your typical wrestler. Uh, his stuff looks legit and combines really well with people like CM Punk getting to work a lot more striking here. And I thought Punk selling was really good throughout this match. It was a fun match. Do you know what the what Bobby's fans were were playing before before the start of Dynamite? Go fish. Malachi Black says oh. that he made Cody's family lose faith in him. He divided the Nightmare family, and he took measures that he's never taken before. I made an entire crowd hate you, Cody. It's not about pinfalls. The house always wins. So it's not over yet. No, no. I mean... This is the Michael Myers of AEW that just keeps going. Dude, I've gone so into Halloween this week. I'm watching, like, panels about Halloween. I was, like, watching this interview with Jamie Lee Curtis explaining why she did H2O in 98, why she had to come back for Resurrection. How many have there been? Four? A thousand, dude. There have been a thousand Halloweens. Oh, wow. And the last one's going to come out next year. The last one until 10 years from now. Oh, wow. Okay. Halloween ends. Uh, sure. Okay. We'll see about that. Yeah. But, uh, well, I, I have not seen any of them, so I'm sorry. I can't really carry oh, this Dude, at least watch, watch the first one this week. Watch it on Halloween night. Uh, maybe. The first one is, um, c- cinematic excellence. I got the bachelor, you know, John, oh so, or the bachelorette, I mean, so we'll see how, how, how far I get. But this black promo was, you know, pretty much like what he posted on his Instagram. The, the idea that even though he took the pinfall loss, he ultimately won because look look what it did to the Nightmare family. I really like that, you know, little kind of the way of reframing a loss. Um, so, yeah, this, this feud continues. MJF was out with Wardlow and Sean Spears for a very quick match with independent wrestler Bryce Donovan, who was uh, a creative pro guy. Um, and he just got beaten 35 seconds here with the Heat Seeker and MJF pinned him using a finger. Uh, but this was more so the backdrop for everything to come after. MJF calls Boston a shithole. And his he's got a routine of pinning shoulders on mats and banging rats. But he's going to skip the second part because he'd rather shove his junk into a blender than go near Boston's disgusting fat women. And dude, this crowd was livid at this assertion. He mocked the accents and then addressed Darby, who he says is too scared to show up for work. He's a dumb schmuck. And his destiny is to become AEW champion. Sting's music plays, but it's all a ploy as MJF laughs and calls the fans stupid. Then the lights go out again and MJF is laughing on the microphone, thinking Sean Spears is next to him. Spears informs him, that's not me. And with that, there is a video that plays where it is uh, MJF performing with an MJF. Sorry, it's Darby with the MJF mask on. Darby wasn't wearing the mask. It was somebody else. Like oh, a, it was another guy? Yeah, because he ended up Oh, and then Darby him. attacks the guy with the ma- that mask. Yeah. Yes. This was, um, this was a really thought out 
uh, production by Darby Allen. I mean, it really was just like, here's some footage from Darby's weekend. He went to a concert and then um, put a, did a dropkick on stage to a guy in an MJF mask. If I was at a concert and suddenly the, this wrestler like took over the stage and did this, I'd be like, this sucks. I'm not <laughs> here you? for this guy. I'm here to watch Limp Biscuit. I mean, if I saw... Unless it's Steve Carino interrupting Fred Durst, I don't care about this. If I saw a random dropkick in a, in a concert, I mean, I think that'd be kind of cool. Sting attacks them all with a bat, and MJF goes to the floor, and his back is towards the fans, and there is Darby in a trench coat, and he goes after Spears, he gets the skateboard, MJF has taken off, and there's tacks on the skateboard, so they hit Wardlow with it, and Darby makes the challenge to MJF for full gear, uh, and this segment got over really big with the crowd in Boston. It was a wonderful crowd tonight in Boston, and some great lines from MJF to egg them on, of course. Gave them a great reaction to Sting and Darby and the faces stand tall this week. I think it, this was uh this program is in very good shape. You know what I thought was most notable about this was MJF really setting his sights on the AEW Championship. Mm-hmm. You know, pretty much called out either Omega or Page, and of course it'll most likely be Page if it ends up you know being if that match ends up happening. Um, so already kind of directing our attention to his future title contention. Yeah. And I can confirm, Boston is 100% not a shithole. I, I love Boston when I went there. I, I don't rem- I've been. I don't remember much, but I'll, I'll probably agree. Yeah. Shivani interviewed Britt Baker, Rebel, and Jamie Hayter. And they bring up that Britt Baker had a match with Abaddon on the Jericho Cruise over the weekend. And Britt Baker walked out on the match. So now Tony Khan has made a no DQ match for Rampage on Friday. It's non-title, but if Abaddon wins, she will get a title shot. This is the Halloween match that everyone needed. Oh man, I booked Abaddon in my um uh world transfer window. Are you kidding me? Yeah, this is perfect. Perfect for Halloween. TNT Championship, Sammy Guevara against Ethan Page. Everyone is banned from ringside. Uh, Sammy Guevara just put on a show here. He charges at the ring. They brawled around before the bell finally rang. And they go through the picture in picture. Guevara hits a double springboard cutter, which looked phenomenal. Catches him with a standing Spanish fly for a two count. And then a shooting star press to the floor, which the height this guy got, the rotation he got, this was unreal. Insane. Absolutely insane. Page uh, comes back. He spins him off the top, uh, regains control, but then Guevara leaps to the top, gets scoop slammed, and then the ego's edge off the turnbuckle gets countered with a Hurricane Rana and catches Page with a jackknife cover in 10.58. So Guevara keeps his title, stays in the inner circle, and he can choose the three members of American Top Team that will be part of the 10-man tag. Uh, But before they can get to all of that explanation... Scorpio Sky runs down. They're attacking them. And then the full inner circle are out as Judas plays. Jericho got this massive chant. He says he respects Sky for beating him twice. But the last time Paige beat anything, it was himself in the hotel room. (laughs) He was (laughs) masturbating. Yeah. So they're going to have a five-on-five tag at the pay-per-view. It's now a Minneapolis street fight. And next week, they get to decide which members of American Top Team are in the match. Dan Lambert is a pumpkin-headed dipshit. And they're going to shove 
kendo sticks up their backsides to make them, and I hope I got this right, MMA meatsicles, and then quotes Aerosmith. From Boston. Sweet emotion. Yeah. Yes. I thought a great public address by Jericho. I mean, from the moment that song hits, this crowd, like, there's nothing wrong that this dude could have said. They would have went crazy for him. But it was, nonetheless, a, uh, I think, a really good promo from Jericho. It's a This is a babyface faction that feels incredibly hot right now. And and this feud feels really hot with uh, them against Dan Lambert. And I didn't think I would be saying that because of how critical I've been with ATT in this men of the year. But uh, Sky and Paige, I think, I think, are definitely benefiting from this association. I really enjoyed the match. You know, it was an excellent showcase for Sammy's speed and his high flying style. I love the fact that how like I can distinctly remember each TNT title reign. All the matches look different. You know, like Cody's was sort of like the open challenge one. He'll take on anybody and he'll either work heel or babyface in a more traditional role. And then like Miro just had this kind of powerhouse thing. And here Sammy like just kind of does a the crazy fast like type of showcase style and so th- this championship really like becomes an extension of whoever's holding its personality and i definitely look forward to seeing more of the sammy rain could you, could you imagine like uh, it made me just drift off as i often do when i when i'm watching uh sammy guevara here into like could you imagine ricochet every week on this show do you realize the star this guy would be in this industry coming out and just yeah no handcuffs. I mean, mm-hmm. or maybe they they do a week where he's got to wrestle in handcuffs, and it would be probably would be amazing, spectacular. I yeah. I beat the drum a lot on Ricochet because it just it blows my mind when you see like this guy in a, any different setting. It doesn't have to be an AEW one. It's mm-hmm. just insane. Yep. Moving on, uh, Tony Schiavone is with Danielson and Eddie Kingston. So, did you see the promo that they did on Friday or on Saturday after after the tournament? No, I haven't. So it was just, they they put it online, and it was Danielson essentially telling Kingston that like you're he puts over his toughness, and but he just doesn't put in the work when he's away from the ring. And you should be you should have been a world champion uh, years ago. And I'm paraphrasing here, but Kingston just storms off, and Danielson says it won't matter because of all the all the work he hasn't done over the last 20 years to try and beat me. Like, so that's, that's kind of the setup for this rebuttal from Eddie Mm. Kingston, who tells Danielson, I take a Zoloff every morning. So I don't flip out. I battle depression and then it turns to anger and I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm trying to not get locked up and you've never walked in my shoes. And this is all in response stating he doesn't work hard. Danielson says that's the Kingston I want to wrestle, who has something to fight for and that he's been through. And I've been through it too, but I don't complain about it. There's plenty of people that deal with problems and they still go out there and go to work. Kingston works his ass off. He and Moxley are the two toughest wrestlers he's ever met. But Friday, I'm proving that I'm the best and I'll beat him. Don't you just love like, you know, the excuse of, being an asshole to somebody and then saying that's the that's what i'm looking for that's the reaction i'm looking for yeah that is that is not the uh that is not the promo we got from triple h the night after wrestlemania 19 (laughs) that's the booker i wanted (laughs) to come to wrestlemania like that is the ultimate out for any like awful god awful dirt worst promo (laughs) in terms of taste and tact 
That's uh, that's the guy I wanted to bring out. Uh, listen, Eddie Kingston sounds amazing. Yeah, and you know what? Like, I don't care. Sure, like I'll buy this excuse because anytime we can get an angry Eddie Kingston, it makes for great television. I'm I looking thought- forward to this match. I mm-hmm. think it's going to be a well. It's it's a, it's over by the time we're speaking now. Um, but I think this is going to be a lot of fun on Friday. Yeah, usually it's just, you know, Brian matches, I mean, or Punk matches without that much kind of, oh, like a little bit of like, you know, pre, pre, uh, in ring interaction to set up the match. But here it feels like we got back and forth promos, uh, in two instances. And it feels there's like, like there's a bit more meat to the storyline. So I'm certainly looking forward to it. And, and, you know, from the way this seems, it'll be Eddie Kingston in, in an underdog role, which I think will be fantastic to see Brian in sort of that aggressor position. Uh, Shivani then interviewed the Lucha Brothers. They answered FTR's challenge for full gear, and they will put their titles on the line if FTR accepts. We'll hear from FTR later. Serena Deeb and Hikaru Shida in the opening round of the TBS tournament. Shida going for win number 50. Although they didn't really like state that as sort of like a big storyline. In fact, she came out with the plaque already. She already had it. Did she win? Hey, she won on dark since. No, her record was forty nine. Oh, it was forty nine. So this was the fifty. Yeah, they didn't make win. a big deal out of it at all. Um, they were just like, "Well, your name's on it, so who yeah. who else are we going to give it to? Like, just take it in advance." Um, this this I thought was a great match. Mm-hmm. Um, Deeb wraps Sheeta's knee around the post early, but Deeb comes back, deadlifting her into the ring. We go through the break. Uh, Deeb is working for the figure four. Um, Sheeta gets out her chair, but. Deeb just knocks it away, and Deeb gets a figure four around the post onto Sheeta, and then goes for another figure four in the ring. It's countered with the inside cradle. Sheeta, like her kicking offense was tremendous here. Question mark kick. Then her running knee gets countered into a rolling half crab by D by Deeb, who pulls Sheeta to the center, uses an inverted figure four, and Sheeta gets to the rope. Uh, Deeb then gets the plaque. And she is going to attack Sheeta, but she is stopped. Sheeta grabs the plaque, but instead of using it as a weapon, hands it over to Aubrey Edwards. She sees the greater goal, but in doing so, she can't see because she gets poked in the eye. And there's a cradle by Deeb, near fall. Deeb goes for the sunset roll up, but it's countered. The legs are hooked, and Sheeta covers her. Sheeta is like the world's greatest baby face. This crowd went nuts when she won. Uh, I, I thought this match was terrific. I did too. Uh, I thought it was absolutely awesome and, you know, better than the first one because of their well-defined personalities. I mean, to me, the start of the the match, they were both fantastic, but it's Serena Deeb playing this amazing heel in this division with just so much personality now that she can do all these kind of heelish tricks and she can, you know, piss people off. Um, I, I, I didn't really know she had it in her all those years um and here she's proving to be a top level performer in this division on this roster so um this was a fantastic performance from her and it, a per- fantastic babyface dance partner in Hikaru Shida who I think uh, I it, thought Shida just had so much great fire in this match like both of them were terrific it was um you know equal praise to these two for me she's so immediately likable that um, she's just an incredibly effective babyface, even though she doesn't have to cut a ton of promos or do too much dastardly tricks. It's just the fact that, like, in ring, she just kind of exudes that, you know, like, try-hard type of, like, will so well. So it, it feels kind of rare that we get an AEW women's singles match, like, with this level of 
storyline attached to it and this level of heat attached to it. And this was just a wonderful change. And I hope they really run with both of these two to, to higher stardom. And it looks like they will continue this feud. Uh, afterwards, Deeb chop blocks the injured knee. She gets the chair and just starts attacking the knee. She attaches the serenity lock, hammering the knee into the mat. The officials are out. Jerry Lynn is pleading. So uh, probably continuing this with, um, you know, Sheeta now going into the second round with the damaged knee. Yeah, that'll be interesting. I thought like they might actually take her out of the tournament. That's possible. Like this was a pretty heavy injury angle at, at the end of it, and she's going in there with with Nyla Rose. So mm. I mean, maybe you'll just get her going in with like the one leg and gets run over by the monster. But um, so so what's on the other other side of the bracket? Do I don't we, have the bracket in front of we, me right now. Wasn't how many matches have taken place so far? Here? Just uh, well, we had the Ruby Soho advanced to face Chris Statlander. Uh, and then this one with Nyla Rose having the bye. So we've had two Got matches it. so far. Gotcha. Okay. So winner faces Nyla Rose. And then in the first round, we have remaining the Bunny versus Red Velvet and then Penelope. Oh, wait. So Anna Jay and Jamie Hader. Right. Which is on, they, they announced that for Dynamite next week. Okay. Do you have a prediction for, I mean, if it is Sheeta and Rose? I mean, with the knee injury, it's kind of. I would have certainly said maybe you know I, I, even before I, I, I could see know. I could see the out here with the knee and then we get Nyla Rose and Ruby Soho in the mm. um in the next round. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So I see I see Soho beating Chris Statlander most likely. Mm-hmm. Right. Shivani's with Leo Rush and Dante Martin, and the tag match that was supposed to take place on Friday is off because Mike Seidel is injured. So instead, it will be Dante Martin against Matt Seidel for the third time. Rush so, says so he's just not cleared yet. Or is this a different injury? Uh, for who? No, this is for Mike Seidel? Yeah, wasn't he already injured? Like, it wasn't... The- I mean, they had announced the match on the weekend, so I assume that he was uh, fine to do it. I, I don't know when the, what the injury was or even when it took place. Oh, okay. Um, but Rush says it wasn't time for Mike, and he should have assumed this, wouldn't ha- this would happen. And Matt is a washed-up mentor that didn't teach Dante. And Dante just stood here uh, while Leo did the promo. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Leo Rush sounds great, and I feel like this is still just a bit of a holding pattern before they actually get to what they want to with this feud. Um, I don't know how excited I should be about hearing like a third version of a match. Not that like the. I mean, I'm, I'm I don't. Not that the first two were bad. I'm sure they were actually good. I actually just don't really remember them, and therefore I just don't know if it was like the type so buzzworthy that people were demanding a trilogy out of Matt Seidel versus Dante Martin. Um, but you know, we'll see how it maybe translates into this bigger story they're trying to tell with Leo Rush and Dante. Could you imagine if they attach numbers to RK Bro with Styles and Omos? <laughs> yeah. Um, Next week it's. RK Bro, Styles Omos, 18. God, or something like Randy Orton, Dolph Ziggler, like our Sheamus and uh, so, Jeff Hardy. Somebody, somebody <laughs> needs to, uh, and, and I do not have the time nor the, uh, the data uh, education to tally this up, but someone has to figure out what was the most, what, how many matches would, would be the leader of rematches in WWE this year? Like what, sure. what pairing takes the cake? Does it crack twenty? There must be some that. Crack, like, I, I think twenty is is definitely within shooting distance for some of these. And I'm and I'm not even saying house shows. Yeah. I, I'm j- just TV. Yeah, yeah, I would say so too. 
Preston Vance versus John Moxley in the title eliminator tournament. Uh, I'm really enjoying these Moxley kind of just I love this John Moxley. I love pissed off dad John Moxley who just wants to go home to hold his daughter. Yeah, this is, um, you know, John Moxley saying, all you people complaining about the Queen's crown, guess what? You can, you can do these short matches and they can be fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. So 10 is on an 11 match winning streak, they explain. And they showed some highlights of him from Dark to quickly get over uh, his full Nelson and... I mean, really a chance for you to just take a sip of water, realizing this guy's not winning at all. But hey, if you want to entertain it, here is in theory how a guy would try to win this match. So Moxley just kills him with a German, stomps him in the corner, takes him down to the floor, sends him into the steps, and then Moxley rips his mask, starts biting the face, and Preston Vance is bleeding. Ten tries to get in some offense. Moxley is amused, kills him with a lariat, paradigm shift, two minutes Three seconds, but, you know, on in in a company where you typically get these like lengthier TV matches, I think there's more than enough room for a quick, dominant, engaging match like this. I I enjoyed this a lot. And it's it's focusing on a larger uh, direction for John Moxley with this kind of killer instinct that, listen, I'm not paid by the hour. I've got a kid to hold my pinky finger that I need to attend to. When you have the type of story for it, I mean, the, the squash matches is, is the perfect vehicle. This could have been a back and forth 10 minute thing and 10 could have received a, maybe a standing ovation from the crowd afterwards, but he's not a part of the bigger storyline. And so what is the point? John Moxley right now is being branded as a beast. I mean, he's like getting a Brock Lesnar level push right now with the perfect motivation. He wants to be done here so he can go home to see his baby daughter. I fucking love that. That is just like, oh, just just wonderful. And this was a side of like Moxley that just like is is a next level of, of viciousness that we haven't really seen in too much of his other babyface work. He he was like he drew blood here from from these fan favorites. So again, I, I do think, you know, the 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 goal here is to ultimately like create a bit more of a ne- negative sentiment for this John Moxley. It, ultimately against somebody like a Daniel Bryan, but at the same time it's making him still like with babyface motivation attached to it and ultimately it's just making him feel like a refreshed more dominant wrestler without even having to chase for the title. At least, you know, not directly yet. Tony is with FTR. They accept the challenge and they've waited a year to get their AEW tag titles back. Tully says they've hit the reset button and no one knows what's coming. Dax talks about Lucha Bros and their flips, but on November 13th, they're going to be in a fight and FTR will go down as the best team of all time. So there you go. A pretty simple setup. And we've got FTR challenging the Lucha Bros at full gear. Out come Cody and Arn. Lots of booze here for Cody. And Cody takes the microphone and he says, I hear you. I hear you online. I hear our old managers shouting at clouds. And I heard you on Saturday night. And he describes hooking the arms for the Tiger Driver 98. And I considered hitting a different move. And I could have gone back on my word. Okay, first of all, like what, what move? 
He's referring to the pedigree here that he could have. Yeah, hit. I thought so. Yeah, I, I, I suppose that's what everybody thought too. Which I think went through most people's mind when he hooked the arms on Saturday. Um, but but has he used the pedigree in the past, or is it just his way of being a heel? Like, well, that's that's his explanation here. Is that if I wanted to go heel, that was the easy way to do it. But all of this, he says, like doing something like the pedigree or going back on my word to challenge for the title is so easy. I could do that without any thought. It would work, but I'm not going to. I am going to play the longer game here because that's not me. There's a lot of subtext here and a lot of, I would say, like um, um, kind of kayfabe breaking subtext in a promo like this as well that I don't know if if this would have translated directly to like, you know, your average TNT viewer watching it. Like it, 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 but it, not to say like it didn't need to happen or it shouldn't have happened, but I would say this was, I can see people being a little bit confused if they're not like, you know, following online discussions or knowing exactly what he was referring to. I mean, he didn't bring up the demo, so that's, uh, no, we, we didn't go that to, to that extent here, but you know, he, he explains if you're going to boo the narrative, um, the man who signs the checks is also the one that built this bank. Uh, and then all of a sudden he tossed his shoes away into the crowd. So, well, everybody's giving their shoes away. Everybody's you, giving their Jordans away in this company. Yeah, being, step into my shoes. He says, I've grown up in front of all of you. He talked about his hot wife, his brother who is a Hall of Famer who's probably better than him, and a father who no matter how long he lives, he will never live up to the cultural significance of of Dusty. And he uses all of this as reasons for I will not turn. I love you people, and I have for my entire life. I apologize to the Nightmare family. I apologize to Arn, who thought I went Hollywood. And Arn, it's an honor to stand here in the ring with you. Uh, you were right. And before he can finish, Andrade walks out, and Andrade states how the people hate him. But Andrade doesn't care what they think, so he doesn't bother trying to fight them. And calls Cody stupid and has a stupid tattoo. And that Cody, uh, if he wants, he makes him an offer that you can be my little bitch. The lights go out. Malachi Black is in the ring. He delivers the mist to Cody. And Black and Andrade attack, including Jose the Translator taking out Arn who was not packing here, but instead pack was ready to come out and fire as he came to the aid of Cody and Arn. And it ended with pack clearing the ring, sitting cross-legged and just throwing those middle fingers out. Let's A lot go going on in this segment. Yeah. Let's go backwards here. I love the end scene here. Pack looked awesome. I think he's building off of some really good momentum coming off of the buzz of the pack versus Andrade match. Um, in these past few weeks, he's he's really felt wonderful. Like in this segment where he just kind of came out here and cleaned house, giving the double bird, it, it finally feels like there's some momentum behind him. And I hope the, they can kind of keep that going. Uh, Andrade, I thought this was the best English-speaking promo I've heard from Andrade. Came out here, didn't have a ton to say, but what he did say, everything hit. First of all, making fun of Cody's neck tattoo, like... It just, it was it just sounds really funny coming from him and and then um you know call like calling him uh, uh uh his bitch yeah it's an easy line but again it's 
you know, I've heard some pretty bad English speaking Andrade promos and it's extremely difficult to try to pick up a different language, but to also have to like do it with the type of charisma that is expected to speak that different language in. And I thought he absolutely had it here. So I thought this was the best I've heard of him. Um, But this Cody promo, we kind of have to unpack like, I don't know if I really enjoyed it. You know, his his delivery is fantastic. And no doubt like on word like if this gets covered on roads to the top, they'll frame this with like people crying in the background or something. They'll treat this like it's something great. But watching it live, I found myself me, you know, who covers this show. I was a little confused about what he was talking about to start. You have to like you have to he, He's expecting a lot of the audience and that might sound like silly but i mean it's like for those that know what he's talking about i think it's like it's how a many compelling... people would that be though how many people watching the match last week were thinking that he was specifically teasing the pedigree even though he's never done it before in the past and that, that the tiger driver 98 was specifically done because just to kind of tease the pedigree i mean it's what went through my mind watching it but i think like but did that... you equate pedigree to being a heel Right. I would be interested to have seen if he did that. Well, that crowd would have booed the shit out of him if he did that, but they were going to boo just about anything. Yeah, Um, that's true. I would say the pedigree is probably going to be received in most places as a a heel move, Uh, but some might cheer it just because it's Cody doing a finisher that we're familiar with and it's something different. It would have definitely been a heel move, but we're also kind of now playing with the idea that heels and baby faces are a thing in this supposedly real sport where like you're just going there to to compete so what does kind of being a good guy and being a bad guy have to do with it so and ultimately that's what this promo was about i'm not going to be a bad guy i'm not going to be a villain and that's just i would say a very difficult line to straddle when you're trying it's a tight it's a tight rope but i think you can do it without this becoming uh wcw 2000 i think that this is like i could change my ways and within the body of the show it's i take on a darker persona and i'm going to cheat and i'm going to go back on my word that i've given you and to the deeper understanding like yeah this is i could change my character and the audience is going to i'm going to Give in to the audience and they are totally going to it'll work for me. This would be a good career move for me to do this. But I'm going to push back on that. Okay, fine. But is this in line with Malachi Black has been saying in his promo? Malachi Black is saying that he won this feud because he managed to turn the Nightmare family on him. So Cody now is saying that. Cody is almost kind of playing like a a different type of storyline where he's saying that I'm not going to turn um, and that, I guess, is he saying that you didn't succeed, Malachi, to, in turning me to the dark side? Yeah, may, maybe it, you're getting giving some, some leeway there to, to to Cody if you enjoy this, but it it can play into that. Like Cody turning is kind of what Malachi said to do was destroy this nightmare family, including Cody compromising himself for this uh, as a result of the, this uh, those defeats and turning. Yeah. I just think there's way too much. It's not going to be for everyone, but this is going to be like the difficulty that sometimes people will scoff at. You know, it's it's a silly comparison, okay? But Andrade, it's like he came out. It was a very simple promo, and it was a few key lines. 
Exactly. Simple, but effective. It wasn't the deepest promo in the world, but guess what? It was a well-received one. So sometimes going for the easier story is going to reach the most amount of people that are going to react to bitch. And I think Cody is certainly trying to do a lot more layered storytelling. And that's going to alienate some people that are not following along or just think this is way too beyond what I want out of, of a wrestling story and mixing in character with reality. And I might be in that camp. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I, I think that continues kind of that divide on, on where people fall on Cody. But I think as long as you are getting atmospheres like we got on Saturday and like Cody his matches feel big, and I think that's that's the end result is that you're, you're hoping for. Do you think the boos stop for Cody at this point? No, I think they're going to be still mixed in there because they've really addressed it that it's, I think, going to be a lot of copycat audiences that you're kind of, I think, almost instructing the audience to kind of take in that Cena vein that this is the guy that we boo. Mm-hmm. And maybe trying to create that, that, push and, that push and pull with your audience that some cheer, some boo. And it might work, and it might just be disastrous over time. Like, it's novel now. It, it might not be in a couple months. Well, I mean, AEW has not really been known for for its crowds, like, turning on storyline and, and going against, I think, what they're trying to present. Because AEW has, has often pivoted to kind of follow what the audience wants. So it'll be really interesting to see, like, again, how they continue this Cody character. Um, you know, if, if he's adamant about not turning... It, it, maybe it'll ultimately discourage the audience from going along if they know that you know their 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 demands are kind of falling on deaf ears. So he's uh, he remains a uh, certainly an interesting character on this show. Rampage on Friday will feature the uh, Brian Danielson Eddie Kingston match in the title eliminator tournament. Dante Martin and Matt Seidel and Britt Baker Abaddon no DQ non title match. Next Wednesday, Dynamite is in Independence, Missouri, with Cody Rhodes versus Andrade, Anna Jay against Jamie Hayter in the TBS tournament, and John Moxley, Orange Cassidy in the title eliminator. So, several more announcements probably to come for Dynamite over the next week. And the main event, it is now Halloween in Boston. Out first are the Dark Order, with Colt Cabana dressed as Brandon Cutler, John Silver is Bambi, Stu Grayson was dressed as Kratos or Tommaso Ciampa from Tuesday and evil Uno was a cowboy. It's embarrassing when like, you know, the bald guy with the, with the beard, um, gets the same idea as the other bald guy with a beard. Um, <laughs> well, Ciampa definitely claimed it first. Well, cause it's Tuesday. I mean, by that point, Grayson had already ordered the, the outfit. So it's kind of embarrassing showing up to the party with the same costume. The elite are out as the Ghostbusters. Uh, wh- what did you think of their their entrance here, including the, uh, the state the dude. Stay Puft Marshmallow Man? Uh, the, the Marshmallow Man. Who was the baby? Like Nakazawa was dressed as a big baby. Was that a Ghostbusters yeah. thing? Um, you know, I've never watched Ghostbusters in my life. <laughs> uh, you, so. You're telling me to watch Halloween? You've never seen Ghostbusters, dude? <laughs> no. What the hell. No. Oh my God! Stop. You know, your, you know, your, was, your, your Twitter mentions are going to explode. Don't check Twitter and just watch. You know, when I was in first time. grade, okay, uh, Ghostbusters was extremely popular, and my three my three closest friends they had those goddamn proton packs. Okay, they yeah. were like the toy versions, and they brought them to school, and they would just play with them. 
You know how many times they say, "Hey, John, you want to try? You want to? You want a chance to play with us?" Zero, dude. Zero. Oh. I just sat there and was like, "Oh, we're gonna catch ghosts and stuff." I was like, That's... <laughs> and so I just I have this vivid memory of these three guys with their proton packs, and they had the extender that you mm-hmm. could uh, hit with your foot. And it would open, and the you could put the whatever the, 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 the capture ghost, device, yes. yeah, the whatever you've got into there, so it's captured. And they just play this forever, and they never shared. I, I just you know it, it explains a lot, perhaps. Um, yeah, but, I, I could have uh, imagined uh, going up to uh, an eight-year-old waiting. Hey, that's some nice Lego. Yeah, it's mine. Uh, perhaps sure you, you yeah. wouldn't let anyone touch i would imagine um i i don't know i don't know i guess it depends how, how well we got along you seem very independent when it comes to your lego building i don't think you want any uh assistance it might be yeah it might be more so the case now than even before but i love this they even had a custom ghostbusters knockoff theme just for the elite uh they came out i mean it was about as baby face of a i don't know entrances as it was um maybe i still prefer they're the toon- working these outfits too yeah maybe i prefer the toon squad one but they're both excellent this this mm-hmm. kind of they definitely won the costume party this one so i mean this was a really fun match with with the eight of them here um some highlights included uh grayson launching off the shoulders of the young bucks into a hurricane rana on kenny omega making the big tag to cabana who had a great sequence coming in for the hot tag uh, John Silver did his infinite energy fire up that I'm dubbing it and then ran into a double super kick. Cole lifts up uh, Silver for a triple super kick and then drops him. Grayson makes the save. Everyone gets laid out here, including Rick Knox, who gets super kicked by Matt. There's low blows to all members of the Dark Order. So then the elite put on the proton packs and... Dude, you can just hear in Jim Ross's voice, like, what bullshit do I have to call here? And you have, like, Excalibur or Shivani. I can't remember which one, who's, like, probably thinking the same thing of, like, oh, my God, are we going to call, like, a teleportation or something that they're going to try? And Shivani just goes, well, they could use them as weapons. And, in fact, they used them as weapons to sandwich all four of them, um, as there was probably a sigh of relief from some of the commentators. Uh, Reynolds and Angels, uh, Alan Angels, come out, and there's a horse that runs out. And the horse enters the ring, and the Elite beat the hell out of this horse, thinking it's a Dark Order member. It ends with a BTE trigger. They unmask the horse, and it's Brandon Cutler, and his mouth is taped. And then, after that Vince McMahon shot that we saw in the Hulk Hogan match, peeking over the edge of the apron, this was number two in terms of a reveal. And that was Matt Jackson looking to the hard camera where in the background we see the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man remove the head. And there is Hangman Page. You have never heard a pop for a marshmallow like this in your life. This Boston crowd was so happy to see Hangman Page. He attacked all of them. He hit Omega with the dead eye. And then silver pin Matt Jackson after the spin doctor in 1302. The whole crowd's chanting cowboy shit as the Dark Order commands the ring. They chug beer. It's like this. This hit everything you could possibly have wanted. A Halloween eight-man tag that made you that much more amped for your pay-per-view main event. This was tremendous. This was so 
great. Like when we're talking about a themed match for like a themed holiday episode for Halloween, like arguably the most fun and the most like the the most perfect holiday for a professional wrestling event. I thought this was like one of the best examples we probably ever had of some of integrating costumes within professional wrestling, not just using it as weapons, but using it for your big reveals at the end. We had two of them here, two big unmaskings, first of all, with the Brandon Cutler uh, uh, situation and then this huge pop for this hangman reveal. Only thing I, I, I would have loved to have seen was to see him try the buckshot lariat in the marshmallow man outfit. <laughs> That would have been. That I, have I been don't think he could have done it. To be quite honest, I don't think <laughs> he could have done it. I'm sure they probably like considered it and probably teased it. But the the way they ended up doing the unmasking was just absolutely amazing. Uh, received a great reaction. Carried forward your stories leading up to the pay per view. Uh, and again, you know, like use the theme of the episode so incredibly well. It, it, this was just fun. It was just like such a fun event. That's what it was. This was such a fun show, but it had a purpose. This wasn't some throwaway show to just have like a Halloween show. It was re- really all the Halloween stuff was contained to the last match, but um, it, ser- it served multiple purposes. Um, the main event and the women's match, I thought, were ter- tremendous. Uh, I really enjoyed Punk and Fish opening it up as well. And I mean, the Cody promo, it's going to land for some uh, others. It wasn't. Uh, I liked it, but I can see that one being divisive. It's interesting. I mean, as most Cody pro- promos are, so uh, at least gives us, a, you know, some interesting talking points. And I, I'll say the feud uh, with him and, and uh, what is it, uh, Black and, and Pack and Andrade, I think that's in really good shape, too. Like, that's the whole side, you know, a story between those four that's not involving the title picture that I think is of equal interest to what's going on in the title picture. So this card is like in really good shape, I think. Yeah, I want to know what went down in the fourth quarter of that Jaguars game. Um, you'll have to ask Tony. What are, what are you um, thinking? Is it, uh, do, do you see tag match for the four? Yeah. I don't even know. Like, yeah, I'll have to refer to the, the clipboard to, to see, but what was on the clipboard? It was supposed to be Cody versus such and such. Or Co- such he, and Cody such, had right? like several opponents listed. I think yeah. Mir- like it was like Malachi black Miro, maybe Andrade was I there mean, too. This tag match I could see being on dynamite, you know, or, or, or TV show beforehand. So, but maybe because some... what's the what, because what's the pay per view then for Cody? Right. Well, it wouldn't be Black uh, Andrade. Maybe they're doing Andrade next week. Oh, they're doing Cody on and, Cody Andrade already next week. Yes. Okay, then that's why I think yeah, the tag I might be the the pay per view. Okay. Yeah, it'd be a way to get them all on the show. I suppose that's that's kind of interesting doing that backwards like that. Huh. Well, there you have it, everybody. AW Dynamite from Boston. And we'll go over to forum.postwrestling.com. Way, what did the people rank or rate Dynamite? A few more pieces of feedback today than uh, we had on Monday. But uh, what did you guys think of Dynamite from 1 to 10? An 8.61. And let's start off here with the feedback. We go to Paul. I'll start, John. Paul from New Jersey who says, MJF is the best thing in professional wrestling. Sammy and Paige was very exciting, as was Sheeta versus Deeb. Cody is still a tool, but at least he's aware of it. Jericho was so gassed for his promo, but I still find him extremely captivating. Couldn't care less about the main event, but this was a solid show, an 8. Damn. Was he gassed for the, the promo? Event. I mean, I, I didn't really notice myself. I mean, you know, he had at least you know, the rest of his song for the audience to sing to give him a bit of a break, if that was the case. And but. he, I mean, he carried out the whole promo. It, was, it yeah. wasn't a short promo either. 
Alex writes, I'm sure people will love this as everyone seems to love everything AEW puts out, but that main event was just stupid and silly. That's your world title program and you had nonstop goofiness. The, the stop to, they stopped they, to put on proton packs. That's what he's saying. Then you had a uh, red get knocked out. Ref. A ref get knocked out for 10 minutes while a Stay Puff Marshmallow Man who isn't in the match beats up everyone and stands around while the ref doesn't DQ anyone and counts to three. It's stupid. It's silly. It looks like it's over. So it's likely I'm just too old to enjoy it. But I liked it better when we had serious world title programs like Mox versus Omega or Jericho versus Cody. As bad as WWE is, and it's bad, you wouldn't see Brock and Roman being this goofy. Uh, that's certainly a hot take when it comes to AEW. So thank you, Alex, for uh, presenting it and, and presenting the discussion. Um, I definitely think that there is a place for this type of stuff. You know, if this was uh, maybe your full gear main event, no, that's not it. This was a Halloween themed edition of Dynamite. You know, like with a with the with a a unit a heel faction that is known for being silly. Have you know? Have we not watched BTE before? This is a group that's kind of made their name on being able to balance goofiness with absolutely incredible athleticism and serious storytelling. This was a night where we got to see them flex their comedic muscles and creativity in a match that completely entertained the audience. I think if they played this straight up, it would have been disappointing. If they had done something where they, they surrounded the dark order with those, those guns or whatever they are and shot at them and dark order sold. Mm. Yeah. I probably would have been more on Alex's side there, but it's like they okay, the the concept is it's Halloween and they're dressed up and they are using these as weapons instead of using the like some uh mythical powers uh that the ghostbusters can possess. Um uh, but it's not going to be for everyone, but I I look at this as like your Halloween episode and ultimately you have to look at what gets over and did this get over tonight? It certainly did, and I think Omega and Page they're in great shape for that pay-per-view. And I have high expectations that you're going to get a very serious Hangman Page promo going into this pay-per-view on that go-home show. Absolutely. Yes. Noah from Vaughn. Was that main event silly and wacky? Sure. But man, was it entertaining. And it's sometimes nice to send the fans home happy as the good guys defeat the bad guys. Everything on the show was really great. And the standout match was for sure Deeb and Sheeta. With two weeks to go and no real idea as to who he will face, I'm curious who you guys think CM Punk will face at full gear 8.5 out of 10. Uh, and going back to the uh, biggest football game of the year for AEW fans, uh, he was listed for Wardlow, although like nothing in that direction yet, which I don't know if that if that is the match you're going with. It really only needs one angle. They are continually pushing that Punk hates bullies like they have said that multiple times now that led to the Bobby Fish match. And if anything like that can open the door for Wardlow and you just do kind of um. Like, one angle sets up the match because Punk isn't tied to anyone. They set up this fish feud, like, really out of nowhere, you know, with one one week's notice. And, uh, I mean, I, I don't even know if I'd really call this one a feud. But as far as a match goes, you, you could really pair uh, Punk with anybody. Miro's there, out there. There was the opening last week or on, was it Saturday, where you did have the pinnacle beating down Sting. And that did seem like the opening for, for Punk. But you were already doing that angle with Punk to save um, or to go after Bobby Fish. Yeah, Hansi, before we were recording, let us know that they did address that on uh, Road 2 uh, with Punk saying that he 
he just he was busy or something but like i i think they explain it a whole lot better but there there was some explanation but you know of all the things that might be changing off of tony khan's leaked list i can i can see the puck Wardlow match not being um there that's not being teased at all no you could put him with anyone i think like punk you're not getting like an involved story going into full gear you're probably just getting you know him in a match with maybe an angle to support it we go to Jomo, who says, these guys perfected it in ROH when Bullet Club ran the world, but they are the absolute masters of the fuck-around match. The main event is the type of stuff that had crowds rocking wherever they went in 2017 to 18 and made all impossible. And it's one of the reasons I look forward to the Halloween episode every year now. You're guaranteed a wild romp like that. 11 out of 10 for the main event, with the extra point for the picture, perfect, predictable, stay puffed Marshmallow Man reveal, and the baby. It is the is the most valuable thing from the death of ROH, the plausible death of ROH, not talent, but the tape library. Particularly, particularly since Tony Khan has been mentioning streaming deals lately, and WWE wants to own everything. Regardless, big ups to a company for keeping everybody employed during the most uncertain times of the pandemic, unlike others. I mean, it's the Dave Library has some uh, certainly has some value. I I question how much WWE is going to covet any tape libraries at this point when they're no longer beefing up their network um, because they have no need to increase their subscribers. It's licensed. And we've also seen, I think, according to streaming numbers, it's not necessarily the catalog stuff that does the best. No, it's, it's their fresh content. You no, know, like, it was, it was back when they were starting the 24 seven service, like that VOD service. That's when they were really aggressively going after all those tape libraries. Um, and, you know, it's, it's been much more subdued during the network era. Um, the other question is that Sinclair, like, do they want their tape library? Like they are a broadcasting company. Like, do they feel a need to just, they see some value in a tape library. How much color correction is going to be needed for some of these earlier tapes? I I, I don't know if they're going to be years just to, just to fix uh, like Joe versus punk two. Maybe they'll, uh, they'll have to imagine Gabe Sapolsky, like, you know, his voice, his voice on all over the, um, like a broadcast station? Well, I mean, I guess they are doing that. You, you know what we we failed to mention off the top as well is that this this hiatus will coincide with their 20th anniversary in February. Hmm. Yeah. So, wow. 20 I mean, years. I well, mean, I mean, I certainly I, I do expect them to, to return in some form in, in April. Like I I feel like even if it's in the form of like a smaller operation, uh, like you said, John, you know, just like bringing people back for this specific show and then a set of tapings operating on a much smaller scale than what they are right now. I, I, I think there's still value there. But what is that roster going to look like? Who's going to be around? That's it. And without talent, that's going to be contra- like as of March 31st, it looks like no one will be under contract anymore. So, I mean, what what are you even reimagining with like with who? Like, is this going to be just booking talent? And it's. It's very hard to see what the... It'll be different, but I don't necessarily like shut the door on it being uh, worse, you know, just because you don't have full-time roster members. There are plenty of companies who don't have full-timers that put on some very entertaining shows. But doing yeah. weekly television? Yeah, I mean, that's that's going to be a, a big question mark for sure. But I don't know, would it possibly open the door now if they're not looking to just have people on full time, potentially, to them bringing in various people from other companies? I mean, it's like if if you want to um, run like X amount of live events per year, but I just just looking at 
like the other part here is I, I think you are also looking at ROH very much of like, what is our role in the professional wrestling industry? Like, what are we? Catering? I don't think they think about that. I think they think about how to make money. And maybe that's well, that, that, that's, that's, that's kind of question. the same thing. Yeah. It's like, where do we find our niche that is going to make us profitable? Like we are no longer kind of the, the hot in ring wrestling company. Like that's, you know, we're not number one in that in that category anymore. It's. <laughs> And several companies are probably going to have to have that discussion. It's like, are we viable enough as a number three or four property in this country? Is that enough when we're looking at such a gulf between one, two, and then the rest um, as well? Well, St. Clair's own personal aims of like, you know, whether or not they're just looking at ROH as a way to kind of fill um, the slots in their schedule, it, it kind of makes them a different, a bit of a different animal. You know, in the same way, and, that and ROH isn't is. making or breaking Sinclair either. I mean, it's it's mm -hmm. a line item for Sinclair every year, right? Or not even one. Uh, let's get back here to Muggin, who says the Elite and Dark Order was a sugar rush of Halloween-like proportions with some thrilling misdirection and Hangman's ambush. It was the second night in a row that I saw another Kratos costume, and Stu Grayson nailed it. Uh, Serena Deem Hikaru Shida was damn good. Shida setting the most wins record was the right result, and Deeb going even deeper as a heel in the post match. Begs for a third. Moxley's starching 10 was a little uncomfortable to watch. He worked with such urgency and nastiness. And we'll finish here with Cody's continued descent into fans' disfavor has sucked in Andrade and Pack into his orbit. How long will it take until he finally snaps? This sounds like the uh, the log line for the next episode. Sucked in Andrade. How long will it take until he finally snaps? Yeah, I don't know. Is that still the tease? You know, are we supposed to think that coming off of this, that there's still a chance that he's just going to go full on crazy? Maybe maybe someone will throw an office chair at him like T-Bar and that will be the snap. <laughs> that was the impetus for the Damien Priest uh, character evolution that we saw. I, I love that Mungan used the term uncomfortable to describe that Moxley beatdown. I think that's exactly what he probably intended. You know, it was shocking almost to see like, moxley do this to what has been a big fan favorite in 10 from the dark order so i can't wait to see what he does next finally we got a kate from montreal who says really interesting split tonight between some pretty serious matches and the wonderfully goofy final stretch Sheeta deep was my match of the night but mox versus 10 really helped build the dark aspects of moxley's new character i'm still not in love with the american top team inner circle angle i don't hate it and i like the match tonight but whether I'm excited about the full gear showdown depends a lot on what they pull together for the team selection. Overall, this was a very good example of the breadth of what AEW has to offer. I don't really remember who it is right now, but somebody in the YouTube commented that um, possibly Dan Lambert might be up for grabs as a member of American Top Team that they can pick. What do you think? That Tom? would actually make a lot of sense if Guevara gets to pick. Like They should pick Dan Lambert. I love that idea. Yeah. And who would, do you have any thoughts on who the other two would be? I think, I think you want to somehow get junior in there again, junior mm -hmm. Lambert, and then maybe Austin Vanderfort. Maybe those are the three. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely junior. And then Moss Vidal, I guess somewhere around or Kayla Harrison, Kayla Harrison. Yeah. I don't know. She won tonight. She submitted Taylor Guardado at four minutes of the second round. I'm just looking at the results here. This was uh, this is a lengthy uh, PFL finale tonight. Cool. All right. Well, there you have it, everybody. AEW Dynamite in the books. We're back on Friday night with Rewind to SmackDown. 
We will be live at 11.15 p.m. Eastern Time, so we hope many of you join us. It will be open to all patrons. And uh, once again, uh, Phil and I will be live right after UFC 267 on Saturday. So as soon as that pay-per-view ends, uh, you can just log on to youtube.com slash postwrestling. Phil and I will be going live with a rundown of the main card of UFC 267. And again, everybody, a lot of uh, interesting, fun changes coming up in the Post Wrestling Cafe, as well as YouTube.com slash Post Wrestling. We are going to be doing daily updates sometime in the afternoons, Eastern Standard Time, starting on Monday. Audio only at the Post Wrestling Cafe. And if you want to check out video of it for free, it's YouTube.com slash Post Wrestling. So go and sign up or subscribe. And another big announcement to come. More announcements to come in these weeks ahead. That's it. That's the tease. And don't worry, folks, we'll never turn.